0: Hello everyone, this is Christian Espana-Schmidt. I am a physician. I work as an academic hospitalist at Danbury Hospital, Connecticut, where I am the program director of the point-of-care ultrasound program for internal medicine. You are listening to the Danbury Medical Files. This podcast is dedicated to the whole internal medicine community. Welcome again to the Danbury Medical Files. The Danbury Medical Files is a podcast and is intended for general guidance, entertainment, and it is not intended for medical advice. If you feel that you need medical advice, please contact your physician or go to your nearest emergency department. So, today we are going to talk about my prior podcast. I just figure out that my prior podcast sound like I was in in the with the patients with my team explaining what was going on and there is there is a lot of stuff that was not said and remember the idea of the podcast was just to demonstrate how point of care ultrasound helped these two patients in a very fast and easy way to get them to where They needed to be. Now, we are going to talk a little bit about portal hypertension in Point of Care Ultrasa. The role of POCUS in portal hypertension. Welcome to the Danbury Medical Files, a production by Christian Espana Schmidt, MD. So, first things first. Portal hypertension is a syndrome where the portal vein pressure is increased. The most common cause for this increase is cirrhosis. In my practice, the most common cause of cirrhosis is alcohol abuse. Portal hypertension can also be caused by different entities, and we call them pre-hepatic, like portal vein thrombosis. We call it hepatic, such as cirrhosis, and post-hepatic, like Budd-Chiari syndrome. We can also call it presinusoidal, sinusoidal and postsinusoidal. Some causes of prehepatic portal hypertension and its like portal vein thrombosis just like we said, splenic vein thrombosis can cause portal hypertension. Arteriovenous fistula can cause portal hypertension because of the increase of the flow in the portal And, of course, hypersplenism and splenomegaly for other causes can cause portal hypertension because of the increase of the flow. Hepatic causes for portal hypertension, of course, include cirrhosis. Cirrhosis can be caused by a myriad of syndromes, including alcohol abuse, primary biliary uh, cirrhosis, schistosomiasis, hepatitis, fatty liver disease, etc. That is just to mention a few. Veno-occlusive disease of the liver can cause portal hypertension. And some post-hepatic causes for portal hypertension include inferior vena cava obstruction, right-sided heart failure, and Budd-Chiari syndrome. Now, I just want to focus today in cirrhosis, which I believe is where most of my patients will fall at the end. And I believe POCUS has a lot to offer In the diagnosis and at least in the suspicious of portal hypertension and the treatment of its different complications. So, what are the signs of uh, the clinical signs of portal hypertension and cirrhosis? So, it's interesting that when you start checking what, what is going on there, and most of patients with cirrhosis and that do not have decompensation are asymptomatic the The symptoms that people who is not decompensated can be very vague, such as weakness, loss of appetite, weight loss, weight gain, and sometimes, of course, they will have something more important, just like jaundice, and they might be encephalopathic and uh, hepatic encephalopathy has different stages and different types, and we are not going to talk about that. And of course, they can come because they have seen GI bleed. The physical examination, also, it's, it's obvious when you have advanced and stage liver disease or cirrhosis, however, less obvious in earlier stages. In the physical examination, you may find muscle wasting. If the patient has encephalopathy, you may find asterixis. You may find drowsiness, confusion. And if you pay attention to the smell of these patients, you may find uh, fetor, hepaticus. fetor hepaticus is like a fruity you know, or like a fruit smell that comes from the mouth of the, these patients and is likely secondary to dimethyl sulfide. Presence of Icterus, of course. Parotid enlargement. The presence of spider nevi, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, and patients may present with gynecomastia, ascites, which it's difficult to just diagnose clinically, especially when patients do not have large volume ascites or they have a body habitus that do not let you like make sure that they don't have like shifting dullness or acidic wave an enlarged liver on palpation as long as you have a patient that you actually can palpate uh, the liver or percute the liver, and splenomegaly. Patients also may have clubbing or finger clubbing, palmar erythema, testicular atrophy, edema, petechia. Laboratory findings, the laboratory findings are Very. There are various, however, I will just say the most obvious. In a patient who is not decompensated, the liver chemistries might be normal. Now, if the patient is drinking alcohol and is coming with obvious uh, alcoholic liver disease, you may find an AST that is more than the ALT and other findings. Of course, thrombocytopenia, PT, INR that is increased. Patients who have already splenomegaly may have the MCV increased. And this is not unique to cirrhosis, but it's an interesting finding that you can can use. I will not talk about the causes for the cirrhosis, and uh, this is a different chapter uh, in how to... Look for the cause for cirrhosis is a different thing. The diagnosis of cirrhosis of the liver or liver fibrosis is made by pathology, fibroscore, fibro test, um, elastography, MRI, and others. And these tests are usually performed in the outpatient clinic. In the acute setting, however, we do not have all these tests performed before the patient comes. Or sometimes we do. Let's say that we already have a patient who we know has all the problems from portal hypertension and has a very solid diagnosis of liver disease or end-stage liver disease. Then then we say, okay, this patient has cirrhosis. we, We don't need to do much. However, if this patient is still bleeding or something, we will need to know more. We may face patients... That never had a diagnosis, for example, for ascites, or they never had a diagnosis for any portal hypertension or end stage liver disease, or cirrhosis, or alcoholic liver disease. And this is where point of care ultrasound can be a tool that helps us to guide diagnosis and treatment as long as it's used correctly. Just to define, uh, portal vein pressure is usually 5 to 10 millimeters uh, of mercury. However, uh, we do not measure the portal vein pressure directly. It's kind of cumbersome. It's more... It, it, is, uh, it is with risk. To diagnose portal hypertension, actually, it's possible to obtain the pressure of the hepatic veins and the differential of the hepatic veins with the wedge pressure of the hep- hepatic veins. And if the wedge pressure is more than 5, then this patient has likely portal hypertension. And if, if it is more than nine, this patient has a or high likelihood of experiencing complications of portal hypertension, including variceal bleeding. To obtain this um, type of measurements, we can place a jugular catheter, go and canalize the, the, the hepatic veins and go and go and do the weight pressure of the hepatic veins at least three times. Now, this is an invasive procedure and not without risks and needs advanced, uh, an, an advanced IR uh, or other type of interventional uh, physician that can do actually the procedure. So how point-of-care ultrasound could help? And that's 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 the question that we are trying to address today. So, point of care ultrasound again is a non-invasive procedure, and it can measure and see flow. The pressures or the differential pressure from the portal vein to the hepatic veins is meant to create flow. With color Doppler and pulse wave Doppler, we can see the flow and measure the flow. We can see and measure the flow of the portal vein and the hepatic veins, and figure out if they are normal or not. The portal vein has a flow that goes towards the liver. So it goes from the gut and goes towards the liver. This flow is called hepatopetal. When you measure with your probe from the right side of the patient and you put the, in the, the main portal vein in the center, you can actually use the color Doppler to see... The flow of the portal vein. The flow of the portal vein should look red or mainly red towards your uh, probe, and that's because usually we use red uh, towards and blue away. Of course, this everything can be changed in the ultrasound, but this is what we use red towards the probe and blue away from the probe. So, hepatopetal, in this case, you put the Portal vein in the center, and then you are going to see the flow, and this was going to be red. If you put and the patient can help you, if you put the guide or the the point for measuring the pulse wave Doppler in the center of the portal vein, you will see in a normal patient a flow that goes anywhere between twenty to forty centimeters per second. With a mild respirophasic variation, it usually looks like straight, and sometimes you may have a respirophasic variation. There are many um, illustrations in the internet. I, I, um, uh, and if if I can make an a companion of this podcast in in the channel, I I will make sure that you know about this. In patients with cirrhosis, however, there might be first low flow velocity or less than 20 centimeters per second, and more dramatic findings include a pulsating uh, portal vein and a portal vein that has even reversal flow. So, the pulsating portal vein, you will see it pulsating with the heart beat, and you will see that there is a reverse of flow. So in the color will look like red and blue, red and blue with a heartbeat, beat. And in the spectrum of the pulse wave Doppler, you will see a positive deflection and a negative deflection. And that is abnormal. That is a very good sign of portal hypertension. However, it doesn't tell you why you have portal hypertension. It's very important to know that. Now you need to put everything together. If you believe this patient has cirrhosis, well, then you make the call. Then you can go and interrogate the hepatic veins. Once you find the hepatic veins, you will put the color Doppler to confirm, and you will like to see the hepatic veins that the hepatic vein that is going towards the IVC. The color flow, um, the color for that flow should be now hepatophugal. It's called hepatophugal. It's patophugal, goes away from the liver into the IVC. And it should be different from the patopetal. The patopetal is going towards the probe and towards the liver, so we are seeing it red. Now, the patophugal, we are seeing it blue. We are going to see. A pattern of that wave in the spectrum of the pulse wave Doppler. This is with a caveat. We want a patient who is in sinus rhythm. With sinus rhythm, and the absence of right-side heart failure, because right-side heart failure will change everything, then um, we we'll find a first wave or deflection that is going to be positive or going towards your probe in the spectrum, and that is the A wave. Then we will find two negative waves, the ventricular systole and the ventricular diastole. Those waves are are, are very well differentiated in the normal patient. In patients with cirrhosis now, the lack of or the decrease of feeding from of blood or flow of blood from the portal vein because of cirrhosis or any other cause for uh, portal hypertension, um, then what we are going to see is that we are going to lose the A wave, the A wave or atrial wave, which is the atrial systole, is going to be erased and the differentiation between the ventricular systole and ventricular diastole of the waves is going to be basically gone. And sometimes we may see a continuous negative deflection or negative flow in our pulse wave Doppler. And that is a very good sign that there is portal hypertension in cirrhosis. Of course, there is other signs, and um, for the pulse wave Doppler, I, w- I would advise to use a higher end ultrasound, at least like the sonocytes like Exporte or the Mindray TA7, and ultrasounds that can perform well with a uh, pulse wave Doppler. I would advise not to do that with, for example, an ultra-portable, like the butterfly. You can see the color, but you, it, it, um, the pulse-wave Doppler, to, to, to me, is not perfect. Of course, the presence of an hyperechoic and, uh, liver and a, a liver that, that has different eco-textures may be a sign of cirrhosis irregular liver borders a an enlarged liver yeah that can that can be a sign of portal hypertension the presence of ascites as we discussed or we said we can determine ascites 99% of the time with point of care ultrasound for that we do not need an advanced machine we can do that with Butterfly, very easy, and the presence of ascites will just help you to make a decision of that this patient has portal hypertension. Of course, the presence of a splenomegaly. So if you measure the spleen in its larger diameter, you should have a spleen no more than nine centimeters. Anything more than nine centimeters, it's uh, called splenomegaly and anything more than 12 centimeters is definitely spinomegaly, and you would like to, maybe that could help you also to figure out if the patient has ascites. An interesting fact, the recognition of the umbilical vein can be seen and measured easy with the point-of-care ultrasound than the physical examination. There are more... And more case reports demonstrating the presence of the syndrome of Cruvelheer Baumgarten. So, Cruvelheer Baumgarten is a murmur that is right above the umbilicus and it's a venous murmur. And this is because of the re of the umbilical vein in a patient with cirrhosis or portal hypertension. So, the presence of a Doppler in that umbilical vein should should make you think that there is a re-canalization of the umbilical vein and you are seeing a clinical sign that is cr- called kruvel here So, in conclusion, POCUS can help us significantly in the diagnosis or aid the diagnosis of portal hypertension in patients with no prior studies or if or if they are in the acute setting. It is not a definite tool for everything. It's a guidance. Remember, this is technology helping us to make better decisions. Everything needs to be placed in the context. And um, one diagnosis and help you manage certain diagnoses with point-of-care ultrasound. For example, in one of our patients, the GI bleed secondary to portal hypertension. But also, determining if this patient has ascites or no, it's important because lack of ascites, so we don't need to look and test for SBP or spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. And uh, this patient without ascites probably does not need antibiotics. Well, hopefully, this was a good podcast. And I tried to go through everything that we discussed or I present in the case in the last podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Remember, you can leave a review in any of your platforms that you use to download the Danbury Medical File. Thank you very much. This has been Please and Spanish me.